Welcome to Conversations, stories from the faculty of the Department of Communication Studies at UNLV. I'm Kevin Stoker. I'm the hosting this, but also I got my co-host Dave Norris. Great to be here, Kevin. Thanks and we as are very fortunate today to have with us Dr. Donovan Conley, a longtime faculty member in the Department of Communication Studies. Donovan, welcome. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. Well, Donovan, I'm going to start right out with uh, what I think is kind of the most fascinating thing uh, that's happened to you recently. You know, Donovan went and spent part of the summer in Vietnam doing research, kind of exploring and everything else. Um, I want to hear about it. Donovan, tell us about this sojourn, (laughs) a walkabout in Vietnam. Yeah, well, there was many aspects to uh, that trip and why I went, but, you know, research is the best reason and explanation. Uh, I spent two months in Vietnam this summer. Um, I would have stayed longer, but they were only doing visas one month at a time, and I and I had to go into Laos in a vehicle across the border to renew my, my month. So I didn't want to do that again, right? But I was there for two months. I started in the south in Ho Chi Minh City, and I ended off in, in Hanoi in the north two months later, and I spent about three weeks in, this, in the middle part in Da Nang and Hoi An as well. And the whole idea was learn as much as I can about Vietnam food, the culture of cuisine in Vietnam, as much about the kind of the history and the collision of cultures and how that's, you know, created the cuisine as we know it, the different kind of regional variations of different dishes and as much about just Vietnam as possible in any kind of non-touristy, like on the ground, as much of a kind of local experience as possible. And just to have a really cool experience for myself to go away and kind of refresh, right? And so to spend a couple of months in a different place that I love, um, and just like immersing myself in the food culture was was pretty great. So, what was the best food discovery you had? <laughs> um, the best food discovery I had. Oh gosh, there were so many, right? But like, uh, there's a dish called bun thit nuong. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's on a lot of menus here in the, in the West. And it's over there. It's just called barbecue noodles, basically, and and it's like grilled pork, grilled uh, whatever, but it's usually pork, and it's served atop like kind of cold vermicelli noodles with uh, with fresh herbs and with these incredible spicy sauce and garlic in there, and it sort of like hits every possible note. It's like a symphony of flavors and textures and colors, and I just found it to be the most perfect single dish of food. And again, I've had it here, but it made so much sense when I had it in Saigon. And it cost, you know, a buck fifty. You go across the street to the little place, and you know, you get this perfect, like just perfect bowl of food for like a dollar. And so I went back and back. I didn't do that with a lot of dishes, but I, I really, really love this one. Um, and I've been trying to replicate it ever since, and not terribly successfully. But um, hey, and, and I know you're quite the cook. So tell us where that came from. You know, what I was as a kid that got you interested in food. Um, I often get asked that question, right? Because I do spend a lot of time cooking and thinking about it and reading about it and writing about it. Um, And I just have memories of when I was a pretty young boy sitting in the kitchen with my mom. My mom was a great cook. um, And we spent a lot of time together in the kitchen. I just remember like sitting on the counter, like stirring bowls and like dipping my finger in the cookie batter, (laughs) cookie dough and and whatever. And, And so I think I just associate kitchen with love you know kitchen with like all the best possible 
feelings and, and experiences that you can have. And I do really believe that like I have a blog, my, my social media handle is a thousand tableaus. And the idea is like portraits of tables and, and here we are at a table, right? Tables where we eat, where we come together. It's where life happens, I think, in its richest possible expression. Um, and, and food is just the kind of the medium of that. And, and so I'm really excited about people coming together and what happens when we come together around tables. And I think it all starts from that. It was in grad school when I started to like deliberately try different things, mm -hmm. um, try out different kind of ethnic styles and techniques and whatever. But, but in terms of like the emotional kind of connection to it, it all goes back to, you know, childhood. So you spent obviously the summer in Vietnam, but as you think about how that is impacting your trajectory at this point in your career, kind of how are you taking what you have been doing for many years at UNLV and kind of taking that experience that you had and kind of where, where is that leading us in the you know next few months, next few years? Where, sure, where yeah. are you taking us? Well, the cool thing about being at this kind of point in my career, maybe <clears throat> you have the same experience, is there's no real distinction between research and life, right? It's like mm -hmm. at this point, pretty much what I do in my day-to-day -day life is research-focused. So everything I'm reading, everything I'm watching, everything I'm sort of tasting, traveling, it all kind of is relevant and becomes useful and potential kind of source of like ideas for papers, conferences. So, you know, right now working on a conference that we're going to sponsor in the college in the spring and March with my colleagues, Ben Burroughs and uh, David Gruber. Um, and the focus of that conference is media and as infrastructure. So thinking about infrastructure and, and sure enough, when I was walking around, uh, the streets of Saigon. I have some pictures that I took and, you know, the little alleyways, right? And these tiny little corridors and whatnot. And there's all these scooters and bikes, mopeds flying around. And then you look up and there's all these cables, right? And it's just like internet and telecom and whatever. And I, I just remember thinking to myself, we got food, we got all this food in these alleyways. And we have all these drivers wearing these outfits. They're like the Uber drivers in Vietnam, but they, they ride bikes, motorbikes, right? And so you have all these guys flying around on these bikes, delivering food. And above are the wires that are sending the signals, bring me my drink, bring me my noodles, bring me my whatever. And I remember just thinking to myself, this is kind of perfect in terms of like food, culture, media, mediation, infrastructure, right? So just, to, you know, walking around Saigon, I'm having ideas for potential papers that I could be writing um, or, you know, conferences or whatever, right? And that's the fun part is like when you're just doing the thing you love and like ideas are popping in terms of possible essays, who knows, right? Um, so I may end up talking about that kind of stuff in the spring. It's one of my ideas. So yeah, in terms of where, where this is going, more, I don't know, just more, right? Like more, uh, my, my interests, my research interests uh, have been with food and taste for about a decade now, but I'm actually starting to move more out of food and more into like tech, right? And so that's that kind of turn into the, yeah. the media infrastructure piece. <clears throat> and that's why I was really interested when I was walking down those alleyways, I look up and I see the cables, I see the media, but I look down and I see people eating food, sitting on stools. And for me, it was like, this is perfect. This is my whole world right here. But it's moving less away from the kind of what's happening on the ground, I think, and a little bit more about like the tech and the media. And, um, you know, I, my research tends to gravitate toward like the problems or the big, the big challenges that confront us in terms of, 
you know, free thinking and association and um, community and whatnot. And and there was a time not too long ago where food, the food system seemed to me like the challenge. Food waste, obesity, conditions, labor conditions, the treatment of animals, all the rest of it. Like that's a major issue. But now as big of an issue as that is, I feel like the tech issue has even become more, more the issue, right? Because you can't even talk about food without first talking about tech, the creation of it, the delivery of it, the distribution of it. So now I'm kind of moving more to a primary kind of consideration of like this kind of stuff, all this gadgetry and what it's doing. And there's obviously lots of good stuff, but we know that there's lots of like scary stuff too. And it's so new and it's happening so quickly. I feel like we need to like, we need critical humanistic scholars to try to like ground our, our ideas about this stuff. So that's kind of where I'm pushing a little bit, but it's hard to let go of the food stuff because it's so personally uh, wonderful to me. So I'll probably always dabble. Let's back up a little bit. So you talked about sitting at the table when your mom's cooking, sticking your fingers in the uh, in the bowls of whatever it might be, something delicious, I imagine. Talk to us a little bit about growing up. Kind of how did that lead you to the path that you're on? Because you could have gone a number of different ways if you love to eat food, but you went the academic path. And I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit about your journey in that regard. Yeah, cool. So <laughs> I was actually quite an athlete when I was uh, a, a young young guy. Um, and, and I'll say this now, but uh, it was a source of kind of embarrassment for many years as an as a academic because I was not interested in academics as a, as, a, as a young guy. It was basketball, it was golf, it was football, soccer, all of it. I played every sport. I loved it. And then I remember I went to um, undergrad university, and I actually had plans to play for the university basketball team. Um, the coach even told me I was pretty much a, sh a lock to make the team. But some personal things happened, and I ended up leaving home prematurely, and there may or may not have been a woman involved, and <laughs> things were a little bit messy. And I remember realizing I have to work full-time, and I'm no longer living at home. I have to take care of myself. I have to work full-time. I have to go to school full-time. Oh, shoot, I can't play basketball. I have to, like, take care of myself. So my dreams of becoming a university-level basketball player died quickly. and But that was actually a good thing because then I found that I had to start taking classes because I went to university just because, basically. Like, because why not? Um, so I started taking classes, and it was an English class that I took where I was reading some book. I can't remember. A, a work of fiction. And I just sort of exploded with excitement. Oh, my, this is what reading's all about? Like, this is what, like, literature? Oh, my goodness. Have you guys ever heard of literature? This is incredible. So I caught the kind of literary bug as a first, first year undergraduate, and I just went like headlong in the direction of English. So for four straight years, I took every class in English that I possibly could, theater, short stories, poems. I loved it. Couldn't get enough. And I thought I might want to be a fiction writer. I, I used to worship Hemingway, as all young guys do, I think, and I wanted to be this kind of like minimalist, sort of, you know, mysterious writer guy. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to write about. So I ended up in my last year of, of undergraduate classes taking a class in rhetoric, because, of course, in English departments, they sometimes do mm -hmm. have rhetoric classes, right? It's a slightly different focus. But I took a couple of rhetoric classes in my final year, and I just, like, lost it. I was like, I, I think I've been handed <laughs> the keys to the kingdom of knowledge here. Like, this is it. Um, and in the first class I took, uh, we learned about Aristotle, like within the first week. And, and I still remember like learning about Aristotle on rhetoric and just being like, holy cow, has anyone ever heard about this before? It's so important. Persuasion. Oh my goodness. 
And then I took a rhetoric of popular culture class the following semester, and that was it. I was I was hooked. I was sold. Rhetoric of popular culture. So we were looking at like fashion and music and like reading John Fisk and how we use fashion as like to resist the man and all that kind of stuff. I was just giddy. So that was kind of it. Um, you know, the basketball dreams were in the past. Now it was just like this thing. This really explains so, so much to me, and it really just resonated. And so I just kind of wanted to keep doing it. And after that, I remember I had a kind of faculty mentor at the time, and, and we had talked a little bit about grad school. And she was like, hey, by the way, if you were thinking about grad school, like it's getting a little late in the process. You might want to apply. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I had to study for the GRE like at the same time as I was taking finals because it was like the end of the semester. Got an okay GRE score. Good enough, right? So then I got into some good schools. I ended up going to University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, which is a great, you know, comm program, yeah. historically speaking. And I just just dove into rhetoric, you know, for my, most of my time. The food stuff didn't come along until later. Um, but for a long time there, I was just kind of the guy who was interested in space and materiality and style. Those were kind of my major coordinates. Um, so it kind of makes sense that I ended up in food. But for a while, I didn't have a single thing that I was like known for, you know, like you're, oh, you're the, like Ben's the social media guy or like the food guy or the whatever person, right? I, I was just the guy who was interested in space and materiality and style and aesthetics. And it all kind of gelled around this idea of food and taste. So when you got out of grad school and finished your PhD, did you come first to UNLV? Yeah, this is my only job. This is where my only academic job, right out of PhD school. So now how long have you been here so far? Since 2004, thanks. Since 2004. Wow, wow, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, coming up on a big milestone in a couple of years. 20 years. Exactly, I know, it's crazy. We'll have Um, to go to lunch for that or something. Yeah, sure. (laughs) I think the university has little pins they give you. There you go. (laughs) Well, I... You know, you've had while you're here, though you met your wife, and uh, and that is quite a fascinating experience. Will you share that with us? Tell us about that, how that all happened. Yeah, this is uh, a story that I've told many times because it's a good one. I just told Kevin at lunch a week or so ago. Um, this is my second marriage. After I got out of my first one, I did the like that ended around 2010 and so I did the like online dating there for a while I don't know if anyone's experienced that but it's it's a very specific kind of experience and it it wasn't good I just you know I just did it for a while and I was pretty miserable and never really you know had any real connections and so I got to that point of like I'm done trying to like find someone I'm eh, this is miserable forget it I just want to focus on it's like every rom-com like when you give up and you focus on your career and you focus on what matters to you that's when it all happens right so i'm like i'm done with the online dating i'm gonna focus on me my research like and so i started going down to the the garden the the community garden they used to have one downtown i don't know if anyone's familiar with it um it's called vegas roots it was called vegas roots it's since closed unfortunately but it's like it was on this five acre plot just north west of the spaghetti bowl you know the like crazy all the highways come together there by the smith center um, and I was really curious about the community garden because as a kind of research question, like, you know, what do community gardens do? Who uses them, right? Are they valuable? Do they have an impact? I had all these questions. So I started showing up and I met the, the kind of founder, Roz, her name was, is, and we started a little friendship and we did some things together. We even did like a little cooking show kind of idea. And, and I started bringing some students out there and it was great. And there was this woman uh, who was who was there a lot, and uh, I met her. And her name is Amy, and it turned out that she was actually living in 
the building that was the kind of the office for the garden. There was another side to it, and her and her three kids were living there. I didn't really know that at the time. I just knew that she was a little frosty. So every time that someone would introduce me to Amy, she would just be like, yeah, hi. I was like, oh. So I started referring to her in my mind as like cold Amy, not very nice Amy, right? <laughs> Turns out that because she was a single mom of three and she'd just gotten out of you know some stuff, that she was the uh, same thing, just focusing on her work. She's an architect. She's very serious. She was doing like community projects and so on. So um, she was not in that zone. And I wasn't really in the zone either, right? But... Uh, Roz, our mutual friend, thought that like maybe we would be good together. So now pause. Back on campus, this is going back to like 2012, I think it was. And this was right when food trucks started coming to campus. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a big deal to me and to my colleague Jake Thompson at the time. We're both foodies. And so we were very excited about the food trucks. And one day there was a food, a lobster roll food truck on campus. <laughs> and I saw this as I was done teaching one day. So I was like, hey, Jake, I come into the office and I say, Jake, there's a food truck, a lobster roll food truck on campus. Let's go get lunch. Now, Jake is married. He has kids. Neither of us are gay. We're both married or previously married, but we have this long running kind of gag about us, like our bromance, right? Because we love to cook together. We love to like go shopping together. (laughs) Can't tell you how many times the two of us have had his kids alongside us at a grocery store while we're like bickering over the price of, you know, (laughs) produce or whatever. So this kind of long running joke about our bromance. So we go out for lunch together and we sit down at a table outside and we've got our different things that we've ordered. And I take a picture and Jake's doing the like thumbs up, right? And I post my picture on Facebook. It said something like, romantic lunch date with my my bro or something like this and it's a haha like of course you know it's the running joke about donovan and jake right well apparently roz saw this picture of us and thought that we were a couple and that we were actually going out for a lunch date right and so roz says to amy it's like oh you know i always thought you and donovan might get together because you know around around the same age both nice and whatever but too bad he's gay (laughs) And Amy, my now wife, Amy, was like, oh, he's a gay? Oh, interesting. And Roz shows Amy this picture on social media of the, of the lunch date. And um, so Amy's like, oh, okay, well, oh, shucks. Okay, well, that's fine. And so next thing I know, I get a text from Amy uh, randomly out of the blue one day saying, hey, I'm going for a hike. Would you be interested in coming? I was now safe to her because I was gay, right? <laughs> So I have since referred to this as the gay loophole because she didn't know that I wasn't gay. She assumed that I was. She invited me on this outing at Red Rock. We went for this lovely walk, but we were both in the mode of like, we're not looking for anyone. I thought it was a friendly thing. She thought it was a friendly thing. We went out, we got to know each other. It was lovely. We decided to do it again a few weeks later. So we went out to Mount Charleston. And that time, because we were gonna go for a walk, but it was snowy at that time. So we ended up just sitting in the lodge rest in peace lodge that wonderful lodge with the fire pit in the middle we sat right next to the fire for about four hours and at some point in that that second outing it occurred to us oh no he's not gay she thought she realized because i was telling her about my ex-wife and and all the rest of it and i realized like oh there's something happening here (laughs) and about four hours later we realized we we look back at it now and we realize that we were already falling in love after you know that second date so it's the gay loophole um (laughs) That my buddy Jake now proudly, you know, mentions to anyone who will listen that he's responsible for us getting getting hooked up. <laughs> That's exciting. So at what point did you stop referring to her as cold Amy? 
Yeah, she warmed up pretty quickly. I think it was that first date, frankly. Is, uh, it, yeah, uh, she 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 was very serious about her work, and so it's like no cute boys, right? No cute boys, go away. I have no time for you. But she warmed up. Well, what 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 excites you right now? What is what seems to be uh, the thing that really uh, captures your interest right now? There's. <sighs> It's weird as an academic, you get excited about things that, that aren't terribly exciting, socially speaking or politically <laughs> speaking. So the stuff that I'm, what you said second, like that I'm interested in or that's got me riled up or whatever is, um, again, the technology kind of question and, and how it's affecting kind of public life. Um, so my, my food work is on this phenomenon of taste. And I'm really interested in taste and, and what taste does, uh, historically speaking, what our choices, values, preferences, desires, how these things kind of shape the world that we live in, right? And so now we're moving, now that my work is moving more into like the tech stuff, the digital stuff, I'm, I'm become quite interested in how it is that things like decision making and judgment and evaluation and, and value um, are, and taste itself are being reworked by all of this algorithmic stuff, right? Because it's shifting everything about culture and sociality, I think. Um, and again, it's happening so quickly that we're just trying to catch up as it's changing. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff that just in the last 10 years or so, a huge amount of stuff has happened that we're still trying to understand. Mm -hmm. um, and how the new technologies and, and, and the, the business models behind them, not just the technology itself, but the kind of incentives to which they've been put and the kind of the question of value as it drives the tech and the, and the innovations, right? And so these are some of the big questions that I'm trying to, to chew on, thinking about how all this loops back around to public life, democracy, citizenship, and, you know, some of the scary stuff that's going on there. So you said excite. It doesn't excite me. It terrifies me. It frustrates me. It maddens me. It sickens me. Um, as an academic, I get excited, quotes, finger quotes there, about the kind of the, the questions and the possibilities for the the questions because for me my research is very question driven and so there's a lot of questions to be asked there's a lot of room to explore there but um not terribly excited as a person living in this state of this uh, this world right now yeah but it's so, undeniable the importance of it yeah i mean i think that's that's from from a research perspective it is exciting in the sense that we know the impact that all this is having and so being able to look at it critically is very valuable right and Figuring out the, the good from the bad, just right. sort of finding those distinctions between it's not all good, it's not all bad, right? But there's definitely some stuff that's great. The agential powers that we now have, I just think about all the things I can do when I have this thing in my hand. And I think it makes sense that we get a sense of panic when they're, when we, well, where's my phone, right? Because it enhances our agency in so many ways. We can do so many things with it. They're incredible. But there are also some real downsides. And I think we need to be honest about, you know, the, the kind of unintended consequences and, um, you know, where we are with these things and how we use them and how they use us. So, yeah, it's a rich source of, of inquiry for sure um, because it's where the action is. Well, so in your youth, it was sports. Yeah. Then it became food. Yeah. What's your passion away from the office now? Um, it's still cooking. Um, it's getting out. So fall is my favorite time of the year, right? So the passion right now is to just be outside as much as possible. Um, you're a Utah guy. I got married in Utah a few years back. And so, and I, I specifically wanted to get married in Utah in October 
because I love the season so much. So for me, it's about being outside. It's about the colors. Even though in Vegas, it's basically just brown. But you notice the little nuances when you've been here for a long time. You notice the days, light getting different. You know, the chill. So I love all that. So um, in terms of new passions, it's it's. I just love to cook. I love to explore. Chinatown is my favorite place in Las Vegas. I love to explore Chinatown, the restaurants, the grocery stores. There's a million things I can always try to make and exp- you know try out. Um, and always travel. So we, we travel as much as we can. Uh, we, we have a wedding in Cabo San Lucas in, in November for one of Amy's friends. Um, and then up to Canada for Christmas because I'm Canadian. We didn't talk about that, I don't think. No, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Canada. It's been a long time. Um, I went to grad school in 97. So I've been, I think, in the States for longer than I was in Canada, which is a weird thing. Um, but anyway, we're going, going back up to British Columbia for, for Christmas, which is like mm, right here. That's where mom is. That's where my sister is. And, um, and my family, my, my now family, has like fallen in love with Kelowna, which is, which is where we all meet up. Kelowna, British Columbia, it's gorgeous. So, I bet. Yeah. Those are some of the things that are occupying me when I'm not doing all the rest of it. Tell us a little bit about teaching. So okay. if you had to you know, sum up your philosophy as an instructor, as a professor, as a teacher, how would you do that? Um, my teaching philosophy is premised on curiosity and a certain kind of excitement, right? So I, I base my relation to the classroom on my own kind of best experiences and my sense of what is most um, enriching in learning and academics. When I just think back to when I was an undergraduate, I loved classes that introduced me to you know, big ideas and let me kind of roam around and, you know, here are some concepts and here are some, some great readings and go explore them and ask big questions and, and try to come up with some solutions or answers or interpretations, right? I loved the exercise in the critical faculty. That's sort of where I got my buzz as an undergrad. And so I try to replicate that in my own classes. I think of my classes as a uh, kind of like an intellectual playground, Right where I, I, I begin from the assumption that students are curious. I hope they are, because the classes kind of des- classes are designed for them to try to make connections, to try to maybe read a little deeper than they've read before, to try to synthesize, to try to critically engage, to ask hard questions, to not just be cynical but maybe a little skeptical, um, and to generate ideas on their own, right? Um, by, by bringing things together and breaking them apart or whatever. So I like the idea of providing students with a lot of kind of space to explore and, and to roam around. And I'd like to create assignments that are like, here's some things that you can engage, please engage, give them a little bit more structure than that. But I do not like learning that is kind of mechanical inputs, outputs, right? So I like, um, for students to be able to ultimately exercise their own critical agency, right? And I think of that as a basically creative activity, right? To be, crit- to be critical is to be creative, is to be curious and to, to sort of think per- per- Kenneth Burke's idea of perspective by incongruity, try to look around something or look at it from the side, to generate multiple perspectives, to kind of think things from many different angles. That's what I think of as being one of the most valuable um, 
products that a liberal arts education can offer students is that sense of independent critical agency, right? So you go out into the world and you can sort of stand on your own two feet and you can confront a message or you can confront a power structure or you can um, confront an injustice and you can see it for what it is and, and you have a history and a knowledge base to back that up. Um, and I believe that I've done my job when, I've, when I see students take concepts that, I, that they've learned in class and make them their own when they wield them in a paper critically and creatively, when they're, they're forging ideas and arguments with the resources that they've generated from the class. Boy, that's exciting. But again, it does begin from that premise that students are curious and that they want to kind of lean into that model. Um, and so, you know, to the extent that you're willing to kind of maybe take a little bit of a leap and, and push into some uncomfortable waters, you're safe as far as I'm concerned. That's that's the kind of the vision that I that I still kind of hold on to when I think about my teaching and putting together assignments and so on. Well, Donovan, if there was something that we should have talked about today that we didn't talk about, what would have been? Oh, I don't know. We could have talked about the exciting stuff going on in the college and in our department. So I'm in comm studies, but I'm sitting at a table with two folks from JMS, and we're you know historically speaking, we used to be siblings and now we're cousins i guess in the same college um but we have a lot of i think love between the departments and the kind of collaborative work that we do and i mentioned the conference with ben and we've had great hires in com and we're going to continue to hire we're doing a, a search for a chair right now um not that anyone could replace kevin of course but, <laughs> but uh we do need something more of a more kind of permanent situation there yeah. and so there's lots of really good positive changes in the department we've hired really well we've got great colleagues. And so, you know, I've been in this department for almost 20 years now. I'm, I, I, I shiver when I say this, but I, I think I am the most senior by years in the department. I'm the most senior person in the department. And it's as good as it's ever been. Um, we've been through a lot of turbulence and change in the last little while, but it's a really great spot I think we're in right now. And I love my colleagues and I love the work we're doing. Um, so I know the university's been through a lot and academia as a whole has been through a lot in terms of the pandemic, in terms of, oh my goodness, uncertainty and all the rest of it, right? But uh, we continue to do good work and I think that, um, you know, we're well suited and well situated in a time like this to, to really kind of be of value. So I don't know. I'm happy to talk forever about whatever. But wow. uh, in terms of the messaging of this podcast, I think that's probably probably pretty good yeah yeah i we appreciate your time man it was great it was thank you so much thank you guys you're a true intellectual (laughs) we really enjoy this thanks for joining us. thanks for asking me i enjoyed it